0: Well, good morning. We are grateful that you are here this morning. It's always so good to be together. Uh, if you'll bear with me for just a moment, sometimes I end up with a few announcements that need to be made before we get into our lesson. Uh, I'd like to just share a few things with you this morning that were handed to me. Uh, one was about the community day that we had yesterday. As was mentioned, we served a little over 100 people, about 111 folks. That's Cody counting, so you take that for what it's worth. Uh, he was distracted a few times by a little girl who he was playing with along the way, and so we had a good time yesterday morning. We're thankful for your encouragement, thankful for all those who helped Sandra did hand me this note that said that there was a mention of a need for some shoes for some men that are in rehab uh, some men's shoes and so if you have any questions about that or if you're able to make any donations towards that specifically if you would see santana or sandra and we appreciate them in particular as they have helped to head that up not only before the pandemic started and we were opening up once a month or so but even certainly to our time together yesterday uh, one other thing for our members here, we did put a sign-up sheet out in the lobby uh, for our sister Debbie. Uh, she was encouraged this morning, and she called because they were, thought it might be tomorrow, but the doctor had come by, and things looked good after her surgery yesterday, so she should be getting to go home today. But we're going to put a sign-up sheet out there for some meals, uh, if you can help that with them for the next uh, few days or during the next week. And if you have any questions, you can see Hannah about that. But we want to try to uh, encourage that family in that way. Let me mention one more time again, Uh, we said it last week, but uh, Polishing the Pulpit uh, has begun for this year, but it's all online and virtual, and we appreciate so much our elders being willing to contribute the money that it would take for us to have a congregation-wide subscription. Now, in the past, that has looked like one username and password that we all shared. But with a new update to their website, that means that each one of us can sign up with our own family email address and our own password. So there's a few more steps that you've got to go through. But we appreciate Brian Cirillo heading that up. He's got some information he can send you on how to do that. but We want you to take advantage of that. There's already uh, somewhere between 15 to 30 lessons a day going up. There are playlists that you can click on that are just for women. There are some that are for men. They're supposed to have some things for teenagers and young people, children's classes and that kind of thing. It's just a great opportunity to encourage yourself, and we hope that you can take advantage of that in the next uh, week or so and certainly in the future as you can view all those lessons online. About 10 months ago, I was doing what many people were doing, uh, and I was making plans for 2020. All right, we know how that turned out now, as this year has sort of taken everything that we have done and, and turned it aside and turned it upside down. But in doing that, one of the things I try to do every year is put together the sermons for the next year, have a list for almost every single service. What I'd like for us to study and talk about, it's helpful to me means that I kind of know what's going on. But of course, certainly this year, I've got it still on the wall in my office at home. And it's a bunch of space that, you know, doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, One of the lessons is a series of lessons that I wanted us to look at. It wasn't going to be consecutive Sundays as it was, as we talked about it uh, the last few weeks with apologetics. But it was going to be a series of lessons that I entitled Visual Aids. Now, if you uh, are familiar with statistics at all, Statistics say that there's about 65% of us that learn by by seeing things, that, that are visual aids really help us. Now don't worry, these are visual aids. The congregation here is is pretty well known for threatening me with tomatoes they 're in the lobby before the lesson each week that if I go too long or get too boring they 're going to throw their tomatoes at me instead of taking them home. So this is not revenge if anybody throws a tomato at me, but, but a visual aid now in the Bible, as we think about the idea of rocks or stones, the best I can tell, the first mention or one of the first mentions is in exodus chapter twenty eight in Exodus chapter twenty eight God is giving instructions to Moses, and Moses is giving the instructions to the people, the law, if you will. And when we come to Exodus 28, this is not the first mention of rock, of course, or of stone in general. We know we go back to the book of Genesis and other places, and we read about altars that were being made out of stone and stones. But we come to Exodus 28, and that word is used. It begins there with mentioning of an ephod. Now, I'm not an expert, but the mention in Exodus 28 is of the garments that the priests were supposed to wear. The instructions are going to be to Aaron for his garments and his children, his descendants, the son's garments, as they're going to serve as priests. The ephod would have been a garment, something like a vest, maybe. It would have possibly had two sides. And there in Exodus 28, you read that there was going to be a stone, one on each side, an onyx stone. And on each one was going to be an engraving of the name of six Of the sons of Israel, now when you go forward in chapter twenty-eight, you read about a breastplate. The breastplate, it says there, is going to be made, and it's going to have a row of stones, a setting of stone in it. There's going to be four rows, three stones each. They're special stones. If you have your Bible and you've turned there, you notice they're special types of stones. But each one again is going to have an engraving of the name of one of the sons of Israel. We go forward in our Bible to Joshua chapter 4. You may recall there that the children of Israel have just crossed over the Jordan for the second time. The second time they have witnessed people walking on dry ground in the middle of a river. And in Joshua chapter 4, they've crossed the Jordan and they are getting ready to enter and take over the land of the city of Jericho and enter the promised land. And in uh, Joshua chapter 4 there, we see that Joshua gives... The people instructions. They're to choose from themselves one man, one from each tribe. And look in Joshua chapter four, beginning in verse number five. Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone, of course bigger than the ones I have here, on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign. "'Among you, when your children ask in time to come, "'saying, what do these stones mean to you? "'Why is there a pile of stones laying over here "'on the side of the Jordan? "'Then you shall answer them, "'that the waters of the Jordan were cut off "'before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. "'When it crossed over the Jordan, "'the waters of the Jordan were cut off, "'and these stones shall be for a memorial "'to the children of Israel forever.'" When we think about this idea of stones, Joshua says stones can mean something to us. These are going to be a memorial. When your children ask that question, which they inevitably will, what are those things over there, you can tell them that they are memorial stones of what took place here in the Jordan. We go forward in the book of Joshua to the end, Joshua chapter 24. Joshua's about to die, and you remember the speech that he makes here. You probably are more familiar with verse number 15, where he talks about, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people say, we will. We will serve the Lord. He says in verse number 23 that there are foreign gods that are a problem. These foreign gods are getting in the way. And and the people say, well, we will serve the Lord Jehovah. So Joshua says, well, we're going to make a covenant. And you notice there in verse number 26 of Joshua 24 that he takes a large stone, again, larger than the ones I have, but but he puts it over by a tree, and it's going to be a witness, he says. It's going to be something that you can point at and say, let's remember what we did here this day. Let's remember the covenant we made in serving the Lord. There's a few other instances that are certainly more familiar to us. We go forward to the New Testament and we think about the devil in Matthew chapter 4, if you have your Bible and you're following along, Matthew chapter 4. Now, in your Bible, this section may be entitled, The Temptation of Jesus, because he is going to go through this temptation here. And so the Bible says there in verse, uh, Matthew chapter 4, Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread of course, Jesus is going to look him dead in the eye, as I can try to picture in my mind, and say to him, it is written, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I imagine, and and maybe it helps us to imagine that the stones that the devil are pointing at are shaped like a loaf of bread even. Maybe they look, look like a loaf of bread. So there's a little more of a temptation there. But not only that, we know that Jesus had been doing what? He'd been fasting. He's hungry. And so, yes, he's going to look at a stone that, that possibly, again, for our imagination, looks like a loaf of bread, and he can see, almost as we think about in movies and cartoons, we've watched that, that person in the desert who's dying of thirst and sees that barrage of water that would take care of them. Maybe Jesus can imagine in his mind's eye that piece of rock being a piece of bread. The word there that's used in the Greek language is lithos. That's the word for stone that you find often in your New Testament, lithos. And so the devil says, command these lithos, these stones, to become bread. And it was a temptation, probably in a sense, for Jesus. And, of course, he's going to refer back to Scripture and say, that I'm not going to do that. But Jesus himself deals with stones, of course. You may remember in John chapter 4, when, or excuse me, John chapter 8, John chapter 8, Jesus has been teaching as he usually is. The scribes and the Pharisees bring to him a woman caught in the act of adultery. What an interesting situation for us to consider, right? And they, She's caught in the very act of adultery and they bring her to Jesus and they say, What say you? What about it, Jesus? What's going to be your ruling here or what you're going to say? And we know that Jesus stoops down into the ground or onto the ground. And he begins to write there, and there's all kinds of ideas about what exactly is taking place. But in John chapter 8, about verse 7, they continue to ask him. And they, so he raised himself up and he said to them, a very familiar phrase He who is without sin among you, let them cast the first lithos, the first stone. Now the world knows this phrase, right? People talk all the time about don't throw stones at me or I'm not going to be the first one to cast the stone. They know this instance in here in John chapter 8. But again, Jesus is dealing directly or mentioning stones. We go forward to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. And there's another familiar uh, instance or usage of the idea of stones here. You remember in Acts chapter 7 that Stephen is preaching a great gospel sermon. It's almost a whole chapter, about 40 to 50 verses. Stephen is going through and preaching this great gospel sermon about Jesus the Christ. And you recall that the people's reaction is the same as in Acts chapter 2. They're cut to the heart, but it's different from Acts chapter 2 in that they don't ask, what do we need to do to be saved? They gnash at him fall on him and gnash at him with their teeth. And so we go down to verses 57 and 58 of Acts chapter 7, and we see that familiar phrase, they cry out with a loud voice, they stop their ears, probably quite literally with their fingers, and they run at him. And verse 58 says, they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. The word there is lithabaleo. It's the verb form of course of the word stone, lithos. Lithabaleo, they stoned him. I would imagine again rocks, stones bigger than what I have in my hand, but taking rocks, stones and throwing them at someone and pummeling them until they die. We know it happened a lot. It happened quite often maybe in those times, but it's still hard for us to imagine that actually happening to someone, much less us doing that to someone. But that is certainly what takes place here in Acts chapter 7. Perhaps the most famous, though, perhaps the most famous use of stones in all the world is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And If you have your Bible, I hope you'll turn there because we're going to talk about that and we're going to pretty much stay there for the rest of our lesson. In 1 Samuel chapter 17... The world is familiar with this instance, of course. And we visit, we go back to the Valley of Eli. Here in the Valley of Eli, a real place that you can still visit today, of course, by the way. We read about a little boy, as he's sometimes called, although I don't think he's quite the boy we sometimes refer to him as. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, in verse number 40, the Bible says, Then he took his staff in his hand, And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. He put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand. One of those stones was about to make history. One of those stones was about to become forever famous. Five smooth stones here in the Valley of Eli and one particular hand and of course then in a sling. With our time that we have left, I'd like for us to examine some applications from the Valley of Elah, some lessons that we can learn. Once again, no doubt the world knows this story, and you've studied it before, so we're not going to rehash all of it, although we are going to touch on some things with each of these points. But as we think about these applications, and I, I wanted to bring these today as a visual aid for our lesson. But these stones are a little more important than that to us, as the Danley family, because these stones, these five stones, are actually from... The Valley of Eli. We're thankful enough and blessed to have some friends who in the last couple of years took a trip to the Bible lands. And they took the tour and visited all the places, the, the garden and the Mount of Olives and all those places. And they were taken on their tour to the Valley of Eli, And we're thankful enough that they thought of us and particularly our kids and picked up five smooth stones and brought them back to us so that we could have. These sit on our, uh, by our sink at home often right there by the window where we can see them. Of course there's absolutely no way of knowing over the course of thousands of years which stones may have come and gone but it's pretty interesting to consider that these five stones came from that same area where David was and picked up his five smooth stones. Again it's, it's a well-known passage but I think we can still even this morning make some application as we think about our lives and that's exactly what we want to do with our time that we have left this morning. Number one Spiritual weakness can cripple a nation. Spiritual weakness can cripple a nation. Uh, Where you think about 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see the children of Israel gathered together. You may recall the Proverbs writer as well. Proverbs chapter 14, in verse number 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs chapter 11, in verse number 11, when Saul and all excuse me Proverbs 11:11 11, 11, by the blessing of the upright the city is exalted but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. In verse number 11 if you're still there in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when Saul and all the of Israel the children of Israel heard the words of this Philistine they were noticed there dismayed and greatly afraid. And notice as you go forward to verse number 16 this Philistine presented himself for 40 days. 4-0. 40 days in a row. Morning and evening, the passage says there. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 16. He is going to present himself before the children of Israel and they are going to be scared for 40 days. You might use the word crippled because they don't know what to do. I don't know about you, but as sad as it is to say, not following God has put our country, I believe, in a constant state of upheaval. There's a lot of things going on in the world. There's a lot of different issues. I I don't know. It's not always easy to to bring it down to simply one thing and say, well, that's it. But I think a lot of us agree there was a time when at least maybe close to a majority of at least these United States claimed to follow after God. And as the world has shifted and, and many in the country have just left God together all behind, it would seem that the spiritual weakness of a nation, of our nation, ha- has crippled us and made us weak in many ways. There is no right and wrong. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. I don't like to harp on it. We, we've talked about this some over the last few months since we've been back. We've talked about our country and, and the troubles that are there, but I think it's true. When people turn their back on God and have spiritual weakness, there's a lot of issues that show up. May this cause us to examine our lives and examine ourselves even as David did. Notice there in verse number 29. When David is chastised for speaking up, he asks the question in verse 29. It's one of my favorite sections of that, that story there. He says, "...is there not a cause?" Almost a rhetorical question. They say, you need to be quiet. Why are you here? Why are you saying these things? And he says, is there not a cause? Is there not a good reason to speak up? And I would ask us, what about it, brothers and sisters? What about it, Christians? Is there not a cause, a reason for us to speak up? When we are weak spiritually, me and you I'm talking about, when we are weak spiritually, is it not very often because we have taken ourselves away from God? Is it not then that we feel weak and like we're not able to accomplish anything? Spiritual weakness can cripple a nation. And we can learn that here as a lesson from the Valley of Elah. Number two, I think the second lesson that we can learn here is of course the idea that everyone can contribute something. Everyone can contribute something. You notice there in 1 Samuel 17 that it's Jesse who's mentioned in verse number 12. And what is it said about Jesse? Well, Jesse is too old. He's too old to go to battle. He's too old to go down there and fight. But what does it say as well in verse number 17? He could give food. He does send David to his brothers, and not only to his brothers, but to one of the officers with food. Everyone can contribute something. What about David? Verses 14 and 15. He's just a shepherd. He's just a youth, we might say. But he can contribute something. And of course, he is ultimately going to be the one... To contribute the most. We think about the the fact that this Bible, our Bible does not just take that and mention it there in 1 Samuel 17, but it carries it forth into the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 20. 1 Corinthians 12, 20, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Paul echoes that sentiment in Romans chapter 12 and verses 4 and 5. Romans 12, 4 and 5, he says, All members do not have the same function. We are all different, yet we are all one body. We, being many, are one. Do you feel left out from time to time? Do you feel not useful? It can happen to the best of us and all of us as we think about what our role is here in the church. I would tell you that on Wednesday night... Uh, our young people have a zoom class and um, if you're ever interested in hearing about six kids all talk at the same time You're welcome to join us and it's quite entertaining to hear them all trying to tell their stories of their week while we're all uh, Talking, especially once we're done and we're just kind of sharing for a few moments But we talked in our kids class on wednesday night about this idea We looked at these passages 1 corinthians 12 romans chapter 12 and I asked them I said, let's go around the room here. Let's ask And let's list every particular job, every particular function that a person can do at the Saudi Church of Christ. They they did a pretty good job. Uh, They made a pretty good list. I had about 12 things written down. I think we came up with almost all of them. They even got the AV guys there in the back a little bit in encouragement. But everybody can do something. They even said the the prayers, the guys who who lead prayer. Of course, our teachers, the, the guys who lead our thoughts in the communion, in the Lord's Supper. We covered it all. Do you feel... Left out, do you feel like you're not useful? Certainly a pandemic can make that worse. But everyone can contribute something. The old, the young, the big, the small. We think about those who are experienced, those who are less experienced. The men, the women, everyone can contribute something. If, if the oldest person there was making things possible, and Jesse, if the youngest person there were making things possible and ultimately going to play a big role, I think we can all contribute If nothing else, there's things like yesterday. You could have come and helped shuffle clothes around and talk to people. And as I mentioned, gave Cody a hard time there. But there was a little girl who stayed for most of the time and just needed somebody to play with her. It fell to Cody for a little bit, but the person who started it all was Lila. She was here. And next thing you know, she's entertaining and and playing with one of the children, several of the children that were here. Everybody can contribute something. We see that there in the Valley of Eli. Number three. I think the third lesson that we can learn from, of course, is that the battle belongs to the Lord. Remember the setting there. Remember the moment right before what everybody knows, right before the climax, if you will. Remember the setting. In this corner, the champion, Goliath of Gath. And look at verse number 43. He was no joke, okay, that's for sure. We might, we might not can imagine someone that tall, someone that menacing, but, but he was no joke. And even in verse verse number 43, remember he taunts David. He says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Mocking David to his face right there in the moment. And of course in the other corner we have only a little boy David who says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Look at verse 47 if you have your Bible open there. David says, then all this assembly shall know. Everyone standing here at this moment will be able to tell that the Lord does not save with sword and with spear. What does he say? For the battle is the Lord's. It's not the only place that's mentioned. If you, if you got your Bible, Second Corinthians, excuse me, Second Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat and the children of Israel are about to be attacked. They're about to go into a battle against numerous forces, and they're worried. They're scared, as many of us are in that type of moment. And so they go before God, and they fast, and they pray. And Jehoshaphat's prayer is listed there in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. But notice it says, down towards the end, and before the battle, the Spirit of the Lord comes to Jehaziel and says, and Jehaziel then says to the people, Do not be afraid nor dismayed. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. It's not that we should do nothing, that we simply kick back and say, well, God's got it, I'll just leave it over to Him. It's not that, but we must remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. So we sing that song from time to time, and we say the words, no weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. It doesn't matter. Sword, spear, atomic bomb, it doesn't really matter. No weapon that's fashioned against us will stand. Obviously, first and foremost, in the spiritual sense, because the battle belongs to the Lord. David knew that. He projects that, as we're going to talk about in just a moment, constantly through 1 Samuel chapter 17 here. David says it multiple times to Goliath in that section, but he says to Goliath, it is you and it is the, li- the armies of the living God that you are defying. It's almost as if David can separate himself and say, it's not me. You're not attacking me. It's the living God that you need to worry about. The battle belongs to the Lord, and we can remember that even as David did. Number four, anything with God's help is powerful. Even a small, smooth stone, of course. Anything, big or small. Mac Layton, in his book, This Grace Also, recorded this poem. It says this, Shamgar had an ox goad, Rahab had a string, Gideon had a trumpet, David had a sling, Samson had a jawbone, Moses had a rod, Dorcas had a needle, but all were used for God. Anything with God's help can be powerful. Our money helps. We already talked this morning, appreciate Charles's thoughts and leading us. As we think about giving of our money, we can do things with that, but we don't just have to have money to be useful. We don't just have to be the, the, the one who can speak the best or lead singing the best or anything like that to be useful. Anything that we can have, including ourselves, with God's help is powerful. When I think about the idea of things great and small, I thought about Daniel chapter 2. You recall in Daniel chapter 2, there's another mention of a stone, again, much bigger than this, but it says that in Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, that great prophecy of the church, that a stone was cut out without hands and struck the image that Daniel had been describing on its feet of iron and clay. This large stone was able to do that damage. The church is going to be something that is so great and powerful, but let us not forget that it is described in the exact same way in Luke chapter 13. Excuse me, I guess not in the same way. But the same thing is described in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 19. The kingdom of God is like a small mustard seed. Very small mustard seed. And it grew and it became a large tree. You see, the power is in God's hands. That is what we must remember. Anything with God's help is powerful. It's why Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 is so powerful. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It's not about the elders. It's not about the preacher. It's not about anything that any of us can do. It is about God's power that makes us able to have salvation. Anything with God's help is powerful. And number five, defying God has consequences. Defying God has consequences. Maybe my favorite part is in verse number 26 of 1 Samuel 17. And I imagine David, only a little boy David, walking up on the scene, bringing the food. There's thousands of men, possibly, thousands of men on one side, thousands of men on the other side of the Valley of Elah. The Israelites are standing there and the Bible says they are terrified, greatly afraid and dismayed. They're all standing around looking at one another, trying to figure out what they're going to do, how we're we going to handle this guy. First Samuel 17 and verse 26. David says, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And he carries it forward in verse number 46 when he says, This day... The Lord will deliver you into my hand, speaking to Goliath, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. If you'll allow me to paraphrase, I I hear David saying, Do you know who you're messing with? Do you understand, Goliath, the words that you are saying? Verse 24 again says that they were dreadfully afraid. But I imagine this air of confidence and almost arrogance, not arrogant probably exactly, but but confidence of almost arrogance on David's part. He's like, so what? Who are you guys afraid of? Why are you guys worried? We've got God on our side. He can almost separate himself from that in the moment. Maybe you've met someone like that in in the middle of a, a cancer diagnosis, in the middle of a terrible accident or something, and they seem almost detached from the situation, because they can put their trust in God, and I don't know that they're any better than anybody else, but but some people just kind of have that tendency. Now, I imagine David has that air about him. He's looking around at him, these other people. What's wrong with you guys? Who's letting this person talk to our God this way? Because David knows that defying God carries with it great consequences. First Corinthians chapter six in the New Testament, First Corinthians chapter six and verse number nine, Paul acts that asks that rhetorical question. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And Paul goes on to list some of those things there, those categories of people that we can read about. And some of them we're not, but some of them we might be from time to time. But we have to be careful because he asked the rhetorical question, do you not know? Like, you should know. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Because defying God carries great consequences. Whether it's the Old Testament and it's Goliath, whether it's the New Testament, whether it's 2020, when we defy God, we're going to have a problem. Defying God has great and eternal consequences. Living faithfully to God has great and eternal rewards. Five smooth stones from the Valley of Elah. What an interesting thought for us. The Valley of Elah will be memorable for this valley. It's not only for this battle. It's not just only a little boy David, but only a little boy David with the creator and sustainer of the universe on his side that allows him to stand there and make these bold statements because he knows whose side he's fighting on. He knows who's in control. He knows that the battle belongs to the Lord. The question this morning is are you a child of that same wonderful God? You see, the same God who presided over the Valley of Elah and all those situations there that allowed David to win this battle that we would still be talking about 2,000 years later, he's still the God ruling over the United States, a pandemic, your struggles in life, whatever it is that we're going through. But of course, what matters the most ultimately is that we recognize that we need to be a child of God. This morning, you can be, if you would become gospel-obedient. Obeying God's simple plan of salvation. If you're not a child of God this morning, why not? Why not study these things? Why not consider your life and join the Lord's army? We sing the song to our children to emphasize the importance of it, but oftentimes in our life we forget about it and we move on. We're about to sing this song in a moment to encourage you to join the greatest army in all the world with the greatest leader in all the world, the God of heaven. If you're here this morning and you are a child of God, but maybe you've wandered away, you turned your back on God. Why? why? Why have you left him? Is there sin in your life? Maybe it's of a public nature and you need to come forward and, and make it known to our elders they'll be ready to assist you here in just a moment that we can pray with you and for you. We can share with those in the world that, yes, you might have made a mistake, but you are trying to do what's right. That's why we have a, a confession of a public nature. That's why we have a family, that we can pray for each other and with one another. The beautiful part is you don't have to leave with a burden on your shoulder, a weight on your shoulder this morning. You can either become faithful and be on your way to heaven, be a child of God, or you can come back to Him. And for that, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.